Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network Podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Nurse Leader Network. I'm your host, Chris Racinos. Today, we have a very special guest, Teresa Lodato, who is a best-selling author of Why Aren't You Listening to Me? Elevate Your Emotional Intelligence and Connect with Your Team. She's also a podcast host of Everyday Shiro. Welcome, Teresa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. We're excited to have you. And the topic that we're going to talk about today is something that I think is really important. And to be really honest, I think it's probably the most important topic that you need to have as a leader, especially a nurse leader, where you're leading teams of people that take care of patients. And so I'm going to just dive into our discussion around emotional intelligence. So, Teresa, could you tell us a little bit about what emotional intelligence is and how it can help our nurse leaders achieve greater results with less effort and improve their joy? Absolutely. Uh, well, you could probably do a Google and find some different ideas about emotional intelligence, but the way I see it and the way I work with my clients around it, um, developing it, is just the ability to have awareness to be able to increase your empathy and compassion and come from things in a way that sets you up to be as non-judgmental and as neutral as possible so that you're not triggering other people in relationships. I really think that emotional intelligence is that workhorse in relationships. It's not only going to help people in their work lives as leaders, but it's also going to help in all areas of their life. And I think with leaders, especially the capacity for leaders to be able to understand, communicate effectively, be in a mindset that is supportive and is able to help people to become their best selves are really some gifts of emotional intelligence. And I think with your audience in particular being nurses and medical staff, you know, most of your listeners are probably already in touch with their empathy. They're probably already compassionate. And so a lot of you might be saying, gosh, why do I need this? Well, the other part of emotional intelligence that they don't really talk about online, but what they, what I speak about in my book and what I work with my clients about is also creating boundaries. It's being able to be in the present moment and really tap into your innate wisdom, into your gifts, into your body wisdom in order to make decisions, in order to choose how you're going to go about um, handling a particular situation, examining your unconscious beliefs, your perspectives that you might have on a situation or even on a person. And I think those are some additional things like that I said that don't normally come up on the internet, but that I discuss because it's so important. When you start talking about emotional intelligence, you're not only talking about all those things that I just discussed, but you're really bringing that awareness inside and taking things that are unconscious and bringing them up to the surface and making them conscious. And I think that when you're able to do that in a way that is healthy and constructive, it makes you a better leader, a better friend, a better parent, a better everything in life. Wow. So you used a term that I've never heard before, body wisdom. Could you tell me a little bit about what that means? Sure. Uh, you know, for me, 
because I am so in touch with my gifts. I mean, emotional intelligence is something that I think all of us have within us. However, it's something that I've really honed and developed in myself probably over the last 10 years. And what that process of body wisdom is really just to be able to get in touch with your body and have your body give you information that you don't normally get with your typical five senses. So it might be something, you know, some people call it intuition. It is, however, it's actually something in between intuition and the five senses because you're actually using your your body in order to get answers. So like one example that I teach clients is how to check in with themselves when they're making decisions. A lot of people that are empathetic and compassionate, who maybe don't have the boundaries that they could have in order to have healthy relationships and to not get stressed out all the time and burn out, a lot of times what ends up happening is they end up taking in too much information and their their mind is not able to sort it out. And that's how they get stressed. When you learn skills of body wisdom, what you're able to do is in that present moment, check in with your body because your body has so many different ways to interpret information. It's constantly collecting information and our brain is only using a small portion of it. But the skill for body wisdom is to tap in. And if you feel like something is coming or if your body feels like something is coming from a place of fear or if it's coming from a place that is a, uh, let's use an example of um, something that would your body would be saying no to. So it could be um, maybe you're allergic to a food. And if you were to get into a place where you develop the relationship with yourself and you have very strong body wisdom, you could check in with yourself and think, you know, is this food going to be healthy for me to consume? And what your body will do when there's a a no answer is that you'll actually feel a contraction in your body. You might feel tighter muscles, you might feel, um, you know, your, your stomach contract, or you might feel kind of a contraction in your chest. You might notice that your hands are forming a fist instead of being open and relaxed. All of those are indicators, and everyone's different, by the way. So you have to learn your own indicators, but all of that gives you information. So if you were to, using that example of a food allergy, if you were to be presented with something and you don't know if your allergic food is in it, there's actually a way your body knows. Your body is able to sense that and it'll shut down. It'll give that protection mode. That actually comes from our um, the part of our brain that people refer to as the lizard brain. Uh, The amygdala, that's the portion of the brain that is constantly, it's basically trying to protect your body. It's trying to keep you safe. And so when those contractions come into play, that's the amygdala that is responding to it. On the flip side, if something is a yes in your body, if it's healthy for you, or if the answer that you're seeking is something that is a yes... Typically, you'll feel lighter, you'll feel more expansive, Um, you'll just have it, you might have more senses of joy and ease. Um, With the contraction, like I said, you know, it's tightness, it could also be heaviness uh, for that. So that's, that's just one tool in body wisdom that I work with people on just so that you can learn to trust your body 
And also, when as you do that, you learn that you're able to actually trust other people as well, because your body will signal to you. Yeah, I think with a lot of people, and I can um, raise my hand on this one, sometimes you'll recognize it when it's too late. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll realize that I've my, you know, my body will start clenching up when I've already started to make a face or when I've already, you know, dismissed like, okay, you know, I'm going to tune out because this is just not something that I'm in agreement with. So, you know, in, in that aspect, for those of us who are practicing body wisdom and really just trying to get in tune with our body language and making sure that we remain emotionally intelligent, do you have any advice or suggestions around recognizing it early? Absolutely. Well, I think what happens with most people and, you know, and I've been this person in the past, and if I'm not aware or conscious of it, you know, I can slip pretty easily into it. But most people, it's like, imagine you are a car driving down a freeway and you're going a hundred miles an hour. Chances are you're not going to be able to read the little signs on the side of the road that tell you that things are coming up, curves ahead. Um, you know, there's a pothole or there's a hazard. However, as you slow down on the freeway and you drop it down to say like 50, chances are you'll be able to read the bigger road signs more clearly. It's kind of like that in life. And I say that because when we're going, when our mind is going 100 miles an hour, you know, we're thinking about all the things that we need to be doing. You know, your attention is being drawn in 100 different directions that is what is equivalent to going 100 miles an hour down the freeway and you're not catching the signs. So the antidote to that is to learn to practice presence. And there's a great book by Eckhart Tolle. It's called The Power of Now. It's probably been out for a good 10 years, um, if not a little bit more. But in it, you know, he really talks about the power of now and how the implications in your life. If you haven't read it, strongly, strongly recommend that you do. But the premise of it is that you just learn to be present. It doesn't take, you know, meditating or transcendental meditation. All it takes is being aware of what's going on in the present moment. So right now, I'm aware that I have earbuds that are coming, you know, that are attached to my ears and that are attached to the computer. I can focus my attention on my ears and I can actually feel them in my ears. I can feel the weight of them. Um, If I were to be touching something right now, I would be putting my attention in my fingertips. And if I touch my desk, I can feel that it's smooth and it's kind of cool. That's bringing my awareness into the present moment. And it's just a practice that we can do. It's something that you can do as you do dishes, you know, just focus on, you know, maybe the temperature of the water or the slipperiness of the soap. If you're driving, you're focusing on your hands on the steering wheel, whether it's leather wrapped or another material. Is it hot? Is it cold? All of those things are bringing attention into the body. And so you're using the body to interpret the information that's in the present moment. Another fabulous one that you can do anywhere is just to breathe. And there's a very specific way that I like to encourage my clients to breathe. And that's one that will activate the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve runs through your body. I'm sure all your nurses and medical staff already know this, but it actually helps to calm. If you can calm the vagus nerve, you can actually decrease pain. You can uh, reduce the, the stress response. 
all of those things. And there's a breathing technique. And how it works is you breathe for four counts in through your nose. And then you can pause. And then you breathe out through your mouth for five to seven counts. And so if you do that, even if you just run through it once, but if you run through it like three times, there is a huge amount of just relaxation that comes over your body. It's like pressing that magic um, button for, you know, the easy button. It's like pressing the easy button on your body (laughs) just by breathing in deeply and allowing your body to relax. And, you know, I know that nurses especially um, are very busy running around, uh, especially if they're ER nurses or trauma nurses, And oftentimes, they don't have time to be focusing on lots of different things. But if you can put into practice the idea of, you know, when you pick something up, you know, just kind of focusing for a moment on what that feels like in your hand. Or if you can take a few minutes when you're working with a patient who's um, maybe um, in a lot of pain and they're having difficulty, you know, they're stressing out, maybe they're stressing out other patients, you yourself can use that breathing technique. And you can also encourage the patient to use that breathing technique. Just invite them to do the breathing through their nose as best they can and out through their mouth to your counts. And that will also help to calm them down so, you know, so that you can go about and do your job. That's excellent. It brings me back to my time at the Veterans Administration. Um, we had patients that would come in and their blood pressure would be elevated. And so we would do this type of breathing with them, um, sometimes along with acupressure, and mm-hmm. their blood pressure would immediately drop and go down. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I've seen what you're talking about in practice, especially with our patients, and um, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's such it's such a incredible tool. It's like all of these things that I've learned over my life, you know, and I discuss with other healers, you know, whether they're from the Western or the Eastern traditions. And, you know, we all get together and we say, gosh, this is the kind of stuff they should be teaching in school. This is the kind of stuff that they should be teaching these young kids instead of necessarily putting them just willy-nilly on some kind of medication, teaching them tools that they can use. And then, of course, if they need medication, by all means, do it. But, you know, there's so many people that are really quick to just go to that quick fix instead of taking the responsibility themselves and doing it themselves. And I think that's actually another aspect of emotional intelligence is really taking responsibility for yourself instead of blaming someone else or asking someone else to, you know, take care of you or to do things for you um, in lots of different ways, being able to take that upon yourself. And instead of blaming others, you're saying, okay, what, where, where can I improve? What can, what can I do? What in this given situation, where was, where was the opportunity for me? What could I have done differently in order to change the outcome of the situation? And being able to have that awareness, being able to have several tools to enable you to increase that awareness, to get in deeper relationship with yourself, it's just such a powerful thing that's so easy to do. It doesn't cost any money. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. And so it makes me think about, you know, if we, recognize these things, there's these tools that we could utilize. But what do you think 
Um, because I'm sure my listeners, I'm sure you, I know I have experienced folks that um, are just kind of uh, clueless on the emotional intelligence spectrum. And so let's say we have somebody who on our team needs some improvement around emotional intelligence. We're helping trying to develop them or let's say we don't even realize in ourselves that we have a lack of awareness around emotional intelligence. Are there any steps or any ways that we could discover or help another person discover where they're at on the emotional intelligence scale and how to improve it? Yeah, that's um, that's actually a, a, an interesting thing. Um, one side note that comes up in my mind is I'm actually working on a quiz that people can complete, you know, five to seven questions that kind of let them know where they fall on the emotional intelligence scale. But more importantly, in the moment, uh, you can first work, I think, every, every relationship, you know, I've been a relationship coach for quite a few years now, every relationship begins with yourself. And so I think, especially in this situation, being able to embody, to model the emotional intelligence, being able to be present, when you do that, number one, you recognize even if someone else that you're interacting with is not emotionally intelligent or not as emotionally intelligent, just the practice of you being present and being as emotionally intelligent as you can possibly be gives you the best opportunity to not trigger the other person. And so when you trigger someone else or when someone else gets triggered, that's typically when things start to escalate. You know, so if um, someone is angered or is, is already frustrated and you trigger them, then of course they can, you know, get farther along in their anger spectrum or become harmful to themselves or to others. When you are in a place of presence and you're aware, it's almost as if time slows down and you're able to see. And not only are you able to see what may potentially trigger someone so that you can make the choice to avoid it, but oftentimes the better you get at this, you're able to see what is underlying. So they may be talking about how angry they are about uh, not getting um, not getting help. They're in a lot of pain and they're and they're very angry that you're not taking care of their pain right in this moment. You might notice if you're present that there's actually something of of fear or of insecurity, or a deeper emotion, because those emotions that we show at the surface aren't necessarily what the core emotion is in our being. And so that's kind of an example with um, with patients. But if you're looking to develop emotional intelligence with your team, so say you're leading a team of people, and there's somebody who's not as emotionally intelligent, you could take a step with Let's say person A, you know, the, your direct report, somebody who's a staff that is reporting to you, maybe they communicate something to a patient that they shouldn't have communicated, or they communicated in a way that wasn't appropriate. And you want to teach them ways to bring more awareness to themselves so that they don't blurt out things that are inappropriate. So number one, you model it. But number two, you help them to realize, you help them to, to develop presence themselves. And then you can work with them on communication styles. So that's another thing that I discuss in my book is I've come up with four different personality types. 
And they're kind of a amalgamation of multiple personality types out there in the world. However, the thing about my personality types is I take it a step further. I not only tell you how to recognize the type, but then I also go into explaining to you whether that type is in a conscious manner and how to recognize that, or whether it's kind of the unconscious form, Uh, you know, somebody that's working from uh, a place that doesn't have a lot of awareness. So for example, uh, the four types are leader, spokesperson, researcher, and collaborator. So let's say, for example, that um, the leader type, and that, by the way, leader type does not necessarily mean that's your job. That's just how you express yourself. So it's kind of like um, it's who you are at the core of your being. Your job, you know, being a leader or being an employee is more of a costume or a role. It has absolutely nothing to do with with these personality types. So if we were to say that um, there's a person who exhibits a leader personality type, this person is going to be very driven very focused. They're going to be really concerned about the result. They're going to be someone who um, is very good at telling people. People who are leaders and that are conscious, conscious leaders, are people that lead from the heart. So they're really thinking about the big picture. They're thinking about how it's going to affect the entire team. They're thinking about the results so they're, when, they, when they're thinking about their team, they're not thinking about the people, but they're thinking about the resources that the team has. And they're thinking about the results that they want to get. And so when conscious leaders are in place, they're the people that everyone goes, man, I love my boss. Man, I love my employee. They, I can count on them for getting things done. They get things done quickly. They get things done professionally. They're heart-centered, and they really care about the end result and making it the best possible for everyone. Okay, that's a conscious leader. On the other side, the unconscious leader are people that are leading from a place of fear. And so an unconscious leader will be more manipulative, or maybe um, they'll be control freaks. They'll have to micromanage every single step of the job. You know, if they give you a task and they say they want it done by Friday, an unconscious leader, chances are, is going to be checking up on you or telling you exactly how they want the job done. And if you don't follow it for those exact ways, then you know they're going to have prop. They're going to have problems with you. Um, the awareness that you bring to not only recognizing what your own personality type is, but also the personality type of the people that you're working with, is that you can adapt your speech, your communication skills, in a way so that it is well received. And, you know, one way you can do that is if you recognize that um, someone on your team is a leader, what you want to do with them, whether they're conscious or unconscious, is you always want to go to them with a plan. You want to go to them with the answers. You don't want to go to them and say, gosh, I don't know what to do. You know, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. No, with a leader personality type, you want to go to them and say, this is what needs to get done. This is how the outcome that I want to to have done, you know, and then tell them, 
this is when I need it done by, and then let them do it. Because that's going to be a lot more receptive. Leaders are very, um, they're very to the point. They don't want to chit chat. They don't want a committee to make a decision. They want one person to make the decision, them. (laughs) And they may, if they want advice, they may talk with maybe a mentor of theirs or somebody that they really trust, but they're not going to, you know, form a democracy and a committee and have everybody get together and vote. That's not what a leader is about. On the other hand, the collaborator, a collaborator, that would be ideal for a collaborator. A collaborator wants everybody to get together with a committee. They they are focused on people. They want to make sure that everybody on the team is taken care of, everybody's happy, everyone's settled, everyone's getting their job done. They're the people that, you know, come together and like, oh, let's make it a potluck, you know, let's everybody bring something. That's more of a collaborator type. But you know, I, I don't want to get too in, in depth with the personality types. You know, that's something that um, if you want more information, you can find in my book. But knowing your personality type and knowing the personality types of the people on your team allow you to structure your communication in a way so that people hear you and so that people, more importantly, feel heard by you. You know, this reminds me of. Uh, several years ago, I took a trip up to Alaska, and I was up there to participate in a conference that they have up there through the Nuka system of care, and that's uh, one of the major health systems that they have up there. And while I was up there, they gave us a tour, which was awesome. They really talked about how the community was integrated into the healthcare setting. But what I noticed was that as I walked by desks of nurses and physicians and staff and um, social workers, everybody there, they had a little symbol outside of their door or on their cubicle. And it was either a square, a circle, a triangle or squiggly. Mm. And so I asked about that and they, they said that that aligned with their personality types, which really sound very similar to what you're sharing with us. And so that was their way of before you even walk into a door as a anybody, you know, you know what style this person is so that you can kind of adjust your message that you're going to have to them, which I thought was really creative and and innovative. And so I can see taking the information in your book and then applying it in that way as to, you know, are you the leader, are you the collaborative? What is it that you are? So that number one, we can identify when we're working on teams the right folks to be on the team in terms of having diversity and having, you know, at least members from each of the team on the team. But number two, um, really just understanding the best way to communicate with this individual. So you're kind of taking me back and it's making a whole lot more sense as to why they did what they did as we, as we continue on our conversations. Absolutely. And I think that is such an incredible idea. I mean, to be able to have it out in front so that people know immediately, how, how do, how can you best communicate with me? You know, because there are the people who, you know, certain types like to be told what to do. They just say, hey, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then there's other people like a collaborator who wants to be asked. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to, you know, they want somebody to say, hey, would you mind doing this for me? It really helped me out. And if you pose your question in that way, man, you've got action. Whereas with someone else, like with a leader, if you said, hey, can you help me out? The leader would be like, fine, what do you need? You know. And it's, it's kind of that just changes the, um, 
the intention and the intonation of the conversation. You know, whereas with leader, you might want to say, hey, I need this done. Can you get this done now? And they'd be like, okay, done and taking care of it. But I think that's fabulous. And I think that that's something we should integrate into all sorts of corporations and <laughs> and business yeah, settings. <laughs> absolutely. I agree. You've talked a lot about bringing awareness to what we're innately good at. And then you talked a bit about our personality styles. What can you say about bringing awareness to what we are really innately good at or our gifts in terms of reducing stress for ourselves and for our employees and for our patients? And, you know, how does that relate to the way we can create deeper relationships? Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting when you are or when we are aligned with the core of our being. That's when our body is in experiencing the least amount of resistance. It's experiencing the least amount of stress. So I like to describe in my book um, some qualities about masculine and feminine um, qualities. Masculine qualities are typically more about action. They're more about structure. They're more about form, uh, rigidity. Feminine qualities, on the other hand, are things like flow and ease and playfulness and, um, you know, water, a flow. And by the way, all of us, every single person has qualities of masculine and feminine within themselves. It's really just up to the individual and their past experiences, as well as um, how, you know, what they're trying to do in their life. What I have noticed over the years of working with clients is that a lot of women in particular run a lot of masculine energy. And what I mean by that is that, uh, let's take the example of a single mom. A single mom is going to have to not only have her feminine traits, but she's going to have to amp up her masculine values because she's in a role where she has to be more protective, where she has to perhaps earn the money, where she has to have a lot of structure in her life because she doesn't have the free time to relax and play. So women like that, that just as an example, can be utilizing a lot more of their masculine qualities rather than embracing their feminine qualities. And what ends up happening is that when women in particular do that, they're sending their bodies into uh, a constant state of stress. And that's, you know, the adrenal release of, of stress, the stress hormones, because that's not their natural way of being. And the best way to bring your body down, you know, calm down all those stress release hormones is to, you know, basically communicate with your body and let your body know that, hey, you're safe. You don't have to be running around in high gear at all times, because that's what ends up burning out our system. You know, it's kind of like a... Um, an engine that gets overheated or that's constantly running hot. If you do that for a long enough time, that engine's going to break because it's not built to withstand that kind of heat, that kind of pressure. So when you get more in touch with your feminine qualities, you know, the qualities of ease and flow and play and relaxation, that naturally calms your body down. 
You know, it's, it's, it's so primal. It basically tells your body when you relax, when you breathe deeply, when you are able to play or have a playful attitude or to laugh, all of those things, those aren't things that are happening when you're running away from a tiger or you're, you know, stressed out by something that's happening in your environment. Those are only things that come into play when you're relaxed. So your body naturally shuts down and starts saying, okay, we don't need to release all of those hormones into your system. So that's one way in order with health to just kind of recognize where you are. You know, there's, if you recognize that you're telling yourself or other people all the time that you should do this, that I need to do this, um, or if you're telling someone else you need to do this, you should do this, Those are some cues that talk about uh, what kind of values you're probably holding. Those action, I need to get this done. Any of those kind of things are more masculine. And if you identify really easily with those, and even more so, if you get a little weirded out when I say things like play or intuition or ease or flow, if you're like, ooh, I don't like the sound of that. That's an even more indicator that uh, an even larger indicator that you're really tied to those masculine values. And you're probably prepared, you know, your body's probably in the stages of, of burnout or of crashing. So, what you can do in order to offset that number one is the breathing, number two is that presence, number three, you can, you know, the ideal thing for everyone is to come into balance within their bodies. And that includes balancing that masculine and feminine energy or that masculine and feminine values or qualities that you that you utilize every single day. So let's take, for example, a, a day at work. You come in, you've got your structure in place. Maybe you wake up at a set time, you know, you're out the door at a set time, you've got your job at a set time. Okay, that's your structure. So within that structure, instead of going in high gear all day long, bam, 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 constant action, 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 which are very masculine qualities, what could benefit you is to wake up in the morning, maybe set your alarm for an extra five or 10 minutes earlier. And instead of getting up and just jumping out of bed, jumping on your phone, you know, going full gear, Take a few minutes and just breathe. Or maybe write some, some things that you're grateful for in your gratitude journal. Or maybe allow yourself to have a cup of tea. Start your day a little bit more slowly. Or once you get to work, instead of jumping right in and being in high gear, you know, obviously there are times when that's necessary that you have to do that. But scheduling in time where you can take a pause where you can spend just five minutes and do that breathing exercise or practice, you know, uh, uh, the presence exercise where you're really focusing on what's going on in your body. Because all of those things start bringing forth those feminine qualities and signal to your body that, hey, we don't have to be in that flight or fight response all the time we can take a break. And so that starts training your body to instead of staying in high gear, to be able to back down, take a break, and then you can re-engage. I talk about in my book, imagining it like a hurricane. 
You don't want to be in those winds and those that rain that's swirling around where there's just chaos, there's no control. What the perfect place is in a hurricane is the eye. And the eye in that center is calm. There's no wind, there's no rain, it's just calm presence. Or you can think about it as a spoke of a wheel. You know, you don't want to be on the outside that's going round and round and round and the centrifugal force is pushing you way out and you're feeling stress. You want to be able to travel inward to where there really isn't any movement. There's just that calm. There's that awareness that things are going around and around, around you, but not within you. And so I think that as you start bringing your awareness to these tools and also recognizing within yourself where you need to make adjustments, where you could squeeze something in that will start being a positive change. I mean, all these things that I'm talking about, you don't need to spend any money on. You don't need to spend hours in classes or get advanced degrees. These are all things that you can do right now. And it really just depends on how much you're willing to take the steps and make the changes that are going to change your life and allow you to continue doing the things that you love or get back to doing the things that you love with a lot less effort and a lot more joy. Wow, that's completely powerful. We talk all the time about being emotionally intelligent and you know, really being savvy when it comes to leading. And I think it's time for leaders to really look at where on their prioritization this comes. And so if we say we're emotionally intelligent or we aim to be emotionally intelligent and we can't make those five minutes time to practice being emotionally intelligent, how important is it really to you? So I think I'd like to challenge the listeners to really tomorrow or today, if you're listening early in the morning, to really make five minutes um, and practice some of the tools that you learned on this podcast today, because, you know, we need more emotionally intelligent leaders. We started the podcast by saying it's probably one of the most important skills you need as a leader. And so I want to just say this has been really amazing, Teresa, if folks want to find out more about you um, or more about your book, where can they go? Absolutely. They can go to my website and that is www.teresaladado.com. And that's T-E-R-E-S-A-L-O-D as in dog, A-T as in Tom, O.com. And they've got information um, about my coaching. They've got, you can purchase my book on my website. Um, You know, there's lots of information in there. Um, I also offer an eight-week program, online program, that helps you to really develop these tools of emotional intelligence. Um, Some of them are things that I mentioned today, but in my book, I go a lot more in depth. Um, I actually give you in this program audios that you can listen to. And so if you're one of those people who has trouble turning off your monkey mind, if your mind is constantly going 100 miles an hour, and you know, maybe you've tried meditating in the past, and it hasn't quite worked. um, You know, in this program, I've got audios that you follow that teach you how 
to really bring your awareness into your body and be able to make adjustments within your body so that you can be the very best person that you can be at all times. That sounds amazing. Well, Teresa, I just want to say thanks again. You have given us um, a priceless gift today. And so it was wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of your listeners for all the hard work you do. I know I've been in the emergency room plenty enough times and obviously have uh, lots of relationships in the medical community, but what you guys all do is amazing and we need you to be your very best people, um, your very best selves so that you can do your job and not get burned out. I don't want to see you guys get burned out. I want you to be able to use all of your skills for the benefit of everyone. So thank you for everything. And thank you for having me on your show. 